Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
from his brand new release and we got Martin on the line. Hey Martin, how you doing? Excellent, how are you? <clears throat> I'm doing pretty well. Now, uh, this is the first time you've been on our show and we always start things off by giving our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are, both as an artist and as a person. And the best way to do that is through your journey. So give us the story of Martin Zeller. Well, uh, I started out and uh, born and raised in a small town in southern Minnesota and got started there. I think I started my first band in eighth grade. And uh, interestingly, my the bass player in my first band in eighth grade is still my bass player. We're at 45 years in the same band. Um, then we moved, uh, we all moved to the Twin Cities. We have St. Paul like the second we graduated. And kind of landed in Minneapolis at just the right time. I mean, things were just happening in Minneapolis in the late 80s, early 90s music scene. And we kind of rode the coattails of a lot of great bands of that era. And I think labels, we, we were signed at that point. We moved to the Twin Cities and got signed to a small indie label. But then things were really taking off in the cities and every major label was sending a and our person to Minneapolis kind of give the old get me a Minneapolis band thing. So I think we got snapped up for that reason. I don't think we were ever a band. And the band was Gear Daddies, by the way. And we were, uh, we just really weren't a major label band, but we ended up on one, and for better or worse, and had some really cool things happen. And then that fell apart. Then I signed with Ryko Disc, which was either a really big independent or a very small indie depending on how you looked at it and then started self-releasing and that's where i'm at today okay now um let's talk about the new release when you were putting to the, this together what was the inspiration that drove this into existence <coughs> boy i don't know i think uh you know it, it definitely was a covid album not necessarily you know thematically covid inspired but i really had i'm 60 years old i've been doing this for a living for 40 years but uh i'd kind of reached the point where i wasn't even sure i was going to uh release any new material and when covid came along and had the longest uninterrupted time of my life to sit around and think and write and read i read a lot which is always something that kick-started the creative process for me so i don't know just i sat around and i did a lot of looking back which a lot of times led to thinking about the future and stuff just started coming out and i realized oh yeah i have to put out another album 
Okay. Now, um, let's talk about you as a songwriter. Now, you have a, a, a fairly extensive career in the music industry, and I'm sure you have a, a wide range of experiences to draw on, but every songwriter has their process, their their mechanism, so to speak, that allows them to tap into the muse, whether it's the Nashville mentality of writing every day or it's inspirationally driven. What is your process when you sit down to begin to write? Definitely the latter. I've, I've never been a sit-down, nine-to-five kind of songwriter, although huge respect for that old Brill building. Uh, I work at like, some of the... Just, I love a lot of what came out of that era. Um, I guess that's still happening in Nashville, but... It definitely is more of an inspiration strikes, and sometimes like you know, a song will write itself in you know, five minutes. Well, maybe not five minutes, but in a very short time, and sometimes it'll uh, sit and kind of kick around in my head for years and years and years before it all comes together. Um, I don't know, and I also tend to, I'm an I'm a insomniac, lifelong insomniac, and so... Um, I sit up alone at night, and my head just kind of goes, kicks around like crazy, and uh, that's always been a big part of why I, a part of why I become a writer. Period. So, uh, yeah, but definitely the latter. I'm, I'm a inspiration strikes, and I try to sit down and and get it onto paper or onto onto tape. Okay. Now. Um a lot of uh, songwriters have embraced the technology today as tools in their toolkit, whether it's a cell phone or a home recording studio or even some of the software that's out there like Master Writer or Songwriter's Pad. What are some of the tools you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Well, I'm very, very much old school. I mean, I've... It, this new album, as this came around, is really, I've realized I'm, there's a real Rip Van Winkle thing going on with me. The music business has changed like crazy since the last time I released an album 12 years ago. But one of the big things that's changed for me is I now have a, a very nice studio in my back garden. Um, and I have no idea how to use it, but thankfully I've got kids that do. And so this this is my first time I've ever been able to like take my time writing. I had unlimited redos. If I if I kinda hit a roadblock I could stop and wait rather than you know, watching the watching the clock tick and the money, you know, the bill accumulate. So that it was a huge change for me and uh, I'm just loving it. I love having that studio back there that I can walk to in the middle of the night and I can use it enough to record acoustic demos, but then uh, my son or my sons have to come out and help me turn it into a into a real recording. But otherwise, I mean, literally, I'm I'm of the I'm of the era where it was a dictaphone. You know, you kept sure. a dictaphone in your pocket, you kept a dictaphone next to your bed, you kept a moleskin notebook with a pen, and. The only thing that's changed that way for me is that I now, you know, use my iPhone instead of a old school dictaphone with a tape. Okay. Well, you know, and, and believe me, I I am from that era. In fact, you know, for me at this point, you're a young guy. Uh, I'm I'm pushing seventy now soon. Um, so you know, I I do remember those days when you know when even before there were uh, tape players to capture ideas, you, you carried a notebook around. And, you know, you had a collection of notebooks with different lyric ideas in it. You know, that was the way we cataloged ourselves back in the day. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about um, one of the things that that really has become a buzzword in the industry today, uh, especially since the SAG-AFTRA uh, strike with the writers and the actors. Uh, artificial intelligence has permeated itself 
not only within our lives, you know, and, and science and technology, but also into the creative world, um, where there are now tools for songwriters to help them write lyrics and melodies, orchestrations, drum beats, you name it. Um, and even Ed Sheeran admitted on, on Swedish radio that he utilized some of these lyric writing AI tools as idea generators. Um, where do you see artificial intelligence in the music industry and how is it going to affect us as we move forward, both as songwriters and musicians? Boy, I tell you, I mean, it, it terrifies me. <laughs> it really does. I am so very old school. I just labor over my lyrics, and um, and lyrics are everything for me. And the music tends to, you know, come afterwards and pick up based on lyrics. But, um, you know, I learned a long time ago that lyrics uh, don't matter to some people, and that's just, you know, how it is. That's not in the least bit offensive. Some people just can listen to music for years and not know the lyrics of the songs, but still love the song, still be moved by the song. So, I mean, I guess if uh, I was just listening to a song today that, and I, and I love the song, but I, when I really listen to the lyrics, it's like they're just nonsense. <laughs> a, 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 a great, it had a great chorus, or has a great chorus, but the the verses are just. I, I couldn't make make out exactly what they're trying to say, but it, it clearly didn't matter to me with that song because I start singing along with it the second it comes on. But I don't. Uh, so I guess if someone's using it for that, and they're just kind of uh, and, they're, and they're just they're just kind of using it to make a song. I don't know how it. You know what? I got to tell you, I couldn't tell you Ed Sheeran's song. You put a gun to my head. Um, again, I'm 60. I live. I've lived in you know central Mexico in the mountains of central Mexico for 16 years now. So, kind of, I've been very much you know not really immersed in the music scene at all. But it scares me for my son's sake. It also scares me that uh, my son was a musician, a very very uh, talented musician. But it, yeah, it, it scares me that. Someone, or it bums me out that someone might think that something I've written, you know, I'd used AI on. And I'm not going to cast any stones. If someone else is using it, you know, by all the power to them. But it scares me, and I would never, ever use it. I don't. I couldn't figure out how to use it. I don't think even if I wanted to. <laughs> okay. Now. Um one of the things I think trips up a lot of young songwriters is when is a song done? Uh, and every songwriter has their way of quantifying when a song is ready to move from that writing phase into the production phase. And of course, songs constantly evolve. They evolve in the studio. They evolve. Even when you take them out on the road, they change, you know, because the audience, the, the feedback, everything kind of culminates in in the song, you know, as you perform it out. Um, what is your your quantifier that you like to use to determine when a song is ready to give to the musicians and the producers and, and whatever to kind of go to that next step? Well, that's, that's just changed for me over the years. You know, I came up as a... I was the main singer-songwriter, but we were a band. Um, and we definitely, we worked through, we, we worked the songs out over the course of, you know, a long time, playing them live, and then they're constantly being tweaked. Um, and we'd be playing them live for, you know, years often before they were recorded. So we got all the kinks worked out of them that way. Um, I mean, I have songs that I wrote when I was 17, that uh, we didn't record until I was 26. Um, but it, that's changed a lot over the years. Then suddenly I became a solo artist, and I wasn't, I didn't have a band always there to like work through stuff, so I had to start working through the entire process on my own. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it's like then we go into a studio, 
and all of a sudden you'd hit these points where you realize, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish I could do that, but you know the clock was ticking, and so you'd uh, you know you'd accept stuff that I still I can't listen to my old any of my old albums because all I can hear is what I wish I had done differently, what what I did wrong, etc. But having the studio is like as I said earlier is a, been a game changer for me because I can just keep you know tweaking it and taking my time until it just feels right I guess that's the only way I can describe it <laughs> the song is done for me when it feels right but in the past I haven't been able to even a lot of times get to that point I've had to accept like oh well I can't afford to keep you know trying to trying to get this to where I want it okay well let's talk about that process when you do get into that studio and you're getting ready to record what what is your process that that you found helps you get the sound you're looking for well to a large extent as far as the the, the sound i have in my head i know i i go into it knowing what i want but i also am not i not technically i do not understand the technology or know how to use it so I kind of have to, you know, do my best to explain it to the engineer. And uh, I like to go in the way I've, all, I've been doing it, you know, for the last however many years. I just sit alone at night with an acoustic guitar and I um, hammer out demos, just vocal and guitar demos until I feel like I got the lyrics and the, the arrangement to where I want it. It's, it's, you know, when I reach the point where taking the lyrics and the music into the studio and adding more instruments, arranging it, is where it's always been, that's not my forte. And so I've always kind of relied on producers or others to help me to find find where to go from the basic, you know, raw, bare bones demo. But again, I keep going back to the studio, but that has just changed everything because I have time now to to screw around with stuff and listen to sounds and try sounds. Um, I can play a lot of instruments poorly, <laughs> you know, like, but well enough to write with and well enough to, to experiment with for sounds. Um, so it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I now, it's far easier for me to not only get that, to take those bare bones acoustic demos and find ways exactly the way I want to sound in the studio instead of relying on a producer to define that. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about the, the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? Um, well, uh, Nick Ciola, who's, again, been my been to my left for 45 years now and has played bass on every recording ever made. And uh, the drummer, Scott Wenham, who's been with me for years and years on drums. And uh, this time, my son Wilson, uh, my 30-year-old son Wilson, played every guitar on the album. He's a, he's a savant. And he's the one who engineered and mixed and mastered the album. He even took my, uh, he took my acoustic demos and replicated my rhythm parts because it's, studio playing is, is not my thing. It's like sitting there with headphones on and over-concentrating on playing. It's just, it's not my thing. And I've, I've uh, very little uh, cartilage left in my left hand, so the repetitive nature of recording in the studio is just it's painful. So Wilson took all those parts and he played everything. So Wilson is also doing the tour for the next two months with us, which I greatly appreciate because he's got a career of his own, but he's putting on the back burner for his dad and then uh let's see randy broughton is pl- has plays pedal steel on it who was a member of the gear daddies and again we go back all the way back to our days in austin uh almost 40 well 35 years with randy and let's see and then uh i went down to austin texas where we lived for a while and i have a lot of friends and connections in the music scene there and had a guy named Jeff Queen who uh, added some more pedal steel and some lap steel and his uh, 
his resume is pretty amazing, long and amazing. That's Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Queen. So if you look him up and see his resume, you'll be um, pretty pretty impressed. And then on mandolin, had a guy named Brian Baker, who's uh, who's uh, Robert O'Keen's mandolinist. So, but, and then I needed a female singer while I was down there. And my friend and my first choice wasn't available. And so the um, engineer, Pat Mansky, who was a drummer that plays with everybody in Austin, everyone from, he was Joe Ely's drummer, and he's Flatlander's drummer, and he's uh, Alejandro Escovedo. So he, but he's really well connected. And I said, Pat, I need a, I need a female singer. And he just, without hesitation, said, I've got the perfect got the perfect person for it and he brought in this 21 year old uh girl named uh presley hale and she just nailed it i mean she just <laughs> blew my socks off which is funny because when she came in when i sent her the demo she asked if i could change the key for her and i'm like sure she was going to be the you know she's a, her voice is a focus of the song it's a duet but uh, she's got a pretty voice. Uh, mine is far from pretty. So I made the, I changed the key. It wasn't as good for me, but she, her words were when I agreed to change the key for her that I promise I will blow your socks off, which is a self-confidence I've never had. But man, did she ever. So she sings a duet with me on the album and also sings backups on a couple others. And then a female singer by name Allie Gray, who I've worked with for years, in the Twin Cities does uh, backups as well. I think that's the entire crew. Not a huge, not a huge uh, group. Okay. Now, uh, of course, once you get it recorded, you have to get it out to press and radio. Uh, and you're working with Krista Valenkis of uh, Elephant and Flowers Media. Tell me about that relationship. Well, I again, I have not put out a uh, anything new for twelve years, so I've been out of the game, so to speak. And uh, so I was just I was looking for someone. I've known I've actually been acquainted with Krista for many years. She goes back for a long, long time in the Twin Cities uh, music scene, and knew her, but didn't know her well, and had never worked with her professionally. So on the recommendation of quite a few friends i called her to help me out here and she's been fantastic and thank thank god because this is an area that i just cannot do i'm not a salesman i'm not good at you know i'm not good at like promoting myself i'm not my own biggest fan never have been so she's uh taking it and she's she believes in it and believes in me and she's it's shown and she's really done an amazing job Okay. Now, uh, of course, let's. Uh, the music industry itself has changed dramatically, uh, especially over the course of the last 30 years with the digital revolution. And the consumer today no longer looks at recorded music as a product. It's now a service. It's a completely different um, world. Even how they listen to music, it's not a active participation it's more of a soundtrack they create playlists for activities and uh for moods you know to create a mood how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist well i'm about to find out big time (laughs) because uh i fall into a really weird area of uh my fan base largely are you know between their ages of 40 and 60 and so some some of them still actually buy cds some of them still buy vinyl but they're too old to kind of be hipster vinyl folks um some of them have embraced the new you know the streaming or whatever but it, I have a feeling, I know it's not good. I mean, I'm a songwriter. I've made most of my living as a songwriter rather than a performer. And I was lucky enough to be doing this back when a songwriter got paid. And so I kind of made my money 
uh, back when it was it was good thing to be a songwriter and I've also been lucky enough to have a lot of songs or songs in movies and TV shows and that's it commercials which are always uh, have paid the bills so I, I knew this was I knew this was bad news because way way back when when my boys were young and I, I didn't really understand what was going on things were changing and this was back when iTunes had come up which moved to iTunes the digital downloads and I had you know been sensitive to the whole thing because I'm a songwriter musician I had given them the iTunes account and said here it is you guys if you want any music just use this account and get it and I noticed they were never using it and then after talking to them it's like they and their and their friends it just didn't register that you paid for music that you paid for movies they just I mean it was just something you went online and got for free and I mean even with even with me giving them the you know the account information it's just it's part of their mindset that no you don't pay for it you get it free so I mean I remember like that was an epiphany for me like uh oh and uh, it'll be interesting as my son is you know trying to make a living doing this uh, you know how his perspective will change on that I mean and I know they've always tried to sell it as oh no no this is good for you people can hear you get out there and hear you well <laughs> if you're starving to death who cares I mean and and implied in that is that oh, okay so you go out and play you know you go out and do shows and people will show up because they heard you you know on the internet or whatever well you get to be 60 year old like I am and it's like you just aren't going to don't want to be on the road all the time and right now for my son it's still an adventure he still loves it and I just am curious to see how he'll feel about it as he gets older but yeah it's it's I it's I don't see how this is a sustainable model at all well yeah and I agree with you it's not a sustainable business model I don't I don't see how this can continue um, at this level uh, without having some uh, some way of changing the compensation for independent artists because we can't continue to have them create content and not at least give them the opportunity Opportunity to break even uh and it's exactly. not even yeah it's not even an opportunity i mean you can have a million streams and not even come close to uh what it would cost to record that particular project um so you know there is definitely a problem there uh and i'm watching um the future where is it going what's going to happen next and uh, if you look at the digital revolution and as you you know laid out before, you know it started with LimeWire and went to Napster and then iTunes comes along and you know everyone was screaming, oh Apple, they're going to own the music industry forever. You know it's a huge company and you know they've they've you know they've found the answer. Well, along comes Spotify and you know who's got an iPod now? They're sitting in a kitchen junk drawer collecting dust you know um so it's it's just stands to reason that there is going to be something else replacing spotify somewhere in the near future and i'm watching these new streaming platforms that have been developed utilizing the blockchain as a um platform uh, and the blockchain the blockchain is that technology that secures cryptocurrency and one of the big advantages of the blockchain is the fact that it is a decentralized system in other words no one person or company can own the streaming service it's owned specifically by the users who use the content and the artists who put the content up they're the ones in control of the platform you know if you look at the guy who owns spotify i mean he's making more money than the top 20 artists on his platform you know by a, a, a you know a a multiplier um you know, as far as dollars and cents. So, absolutely. Yeah. So, having a decentralized system 
is a lot more advantageous. We need to kind of get rid of some of the middlemen in the music industry. Uh, and one of the things that they claim with these new services is that they can pay up to 80% of the incoming revenue directly back to the artists themselves. What do you think of that as a potential uh, for the, you know, for the music industry going into the future? Well, I love the sound of it. I mean, I I need to read up on that, but yeah, I just, like, again, I don't see how it's sustainable as is. You're, you know, it's you're killing the goose that lays the golden egg, and I I can't think of anything else where the the people who create the product being sold are making basically not making anything. I mean, it's it, for most of us, it amounts to almost anything. I mean, you think of the example of you know the the ceo of spotify or even most execs making way more than the top artists of spotify well in no way denigrating janitors i mean i think it's a no profession and and i think they probably work a lot harder than the people whose offices they're cleaning at spotify but the the, the lowest paid employee at spotify makes more <laughs> right. gets a bigger Spotify check than the vast, vast, vast majority of us will ever see from Spotify. And if you I really, mean, it's, it's, yeah, and if you really look at it, the bulk of the content that they're using to generate that um, that revenue stream is from the independent artist community. You know, yeah. we create oh, yeah. the bulk of that. I mean, I think it's something like 20,000 songs a week that are being uploaded into Spotify. You know, that's a phenomenal amount of content. You couldn't you couldn't listen to every song that's up there in your lifetime and and get through it all. Uh, there's that much music. And, you know, it is that double-edged sword. I mean, you, you have access to a worldwide market, but you need to have a revenue stream that is composite to the the work and and uh, investment that you make in creating it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's just, it, it's so obvious. I mean, that's just, it's so obvious that, that something has to change because, it, you know, no one's even going to be able to afford a computer to record on <laughs> at right. some point here. So I'm really I'm really interested in this uh, this blockchain technology, and I'm the you know I'm the last person to ask about where I think you know it, where it's heading. Although I I think I'll learn a lot about it over the next couple of years as I go through the process you know the process of promoting this album and such. But it's, I mean I know it's always changing. I think when I the first thing I released the first thing my the gear days release was vinyl there was no there was no cassette and so then there was cassettes and cds and downloads and uh now streamers like i think i'm on the you know there are people that have have bought my first album that i was involved in on six different formats i mean i guess mm. they didn't buy it with spotify but now they're streaming right. and people keep, have bought it over and over so i mean yes the music business changes and I mean, it, it, but it always seems to change to the detriment of the people who create it. I remember, you know, the formula never changed for what we got paid for uh, an album we put on a vinyl than what we got paid for was put on a CD, even though it cost the labels a fraction of, you know, what it cost to put stuff out on CD than it did vinyl. But the formula didn't change for us. It did. They just made a whole lot more money, and that never trickled down to the musicians. So it's always changing. It always seems to change to the detriment of the artists that create the, create well, the material. But it's it, we're hitting a we're hitting a wall here. Well, you know, I think we're headed towards a um, a music industry that is more. Uh, of a direct connection between fan and artist. That power of that connection is immense. If you look at someone like a Taylor Swift or, I mean, she doesn't need any record company. Just like, you know, when, when Scooter Braun, you know, took all her masters, you know, you know what? 
I'm going to record them all over again and put them out myself. You know, uh, and, she's just brilliant. I, I couldn't love her more. She's, a, she's oh just yeah, fantastic. and you know, her fans said, you know what? We're going to listen to the new ones. The hell with the old ones, and you know, and, and brought him to his knees, more or less. Um, yeah, and you know, so and, and I think she thought he thought she had her. You know, like he, I think he was just like, ha, 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 I got you. I love that she got the last laugh. But it has a lot to do with the fact that she had this connection to her fan base and her fans really feel that they have a personal relationship with her and i you know utilizing social media and content and 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 being accessible to the fan base i think is important to her brand and and going forward uh and i think as we go more towards this um, this kind of decentralized system, as more artists realize, hey, we don't need a record company now. We have distribution. We can get um, advance money, not from the record company, because let's face it, a record company uh, contract is really nothing more than a bad loan with bad terms. Oh, um, yeah, they're a loan shark. That's also that's what the yeah. label is. And, you know, and, and even that has, um, you know, like the streaming service audius.co is one of the ones you should look at. But there's this other site called royal.io and you'll I think get be interested in this as a songwriter what this site allows you to do is they allow you to create these non-fungible tokens in other words these NFT um, digital tokens that represent a small portion of your streaming or your publishing royalties that you can then sell to your fan base. Now, one of the rap artists did this, and I've been watching him as he progresses on with this particular site, and he made enough of these NFTs to cover the streaming, one half of the streaming royalties on two songs on his last release. He sold them to his fan base, and was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. Wow. In addition, he had over 3,000 fans that now had an economic interest in making sure that his music is streamed. On top of that, these NFTs are bought and sold on an open market. As they are resold, in other words, if I bought an NFT and let's say someone offered me more money for it uh, if I sold them my NFT, because they're sold out, I sell it to them. Now, NAS will get a commission on that resale in perpetuity, forever. So it continues to generate income. It's almost like a stock market for songs. Right. You know? And this is this is where, you know, and this site is is only one of many that are working off of this business model. So it's well, interesting. Be terrifying the, the powers that be right now, I would think. Well, if you look at the record companies, I mean, look what they're doing. They're investing into legacy catalogs. They're not doing development deals. They're not, you know, developing new artists. They're buying catalogs from legacy artists. The Springsteen catalog, the Prince catalog, the, you know, the, um, you know, they they say Prince has enough music in his vault to do another hundred albums, you know, so it's, it's all... You know they're they're hedging their bet that they're not going to be in the business of new music in the future. Interesting. You know, the writing is on the wall. That's very interesting. Tell me again, what's the name of the site? Well, the uh, you got audius.co. 
which is a streaming site, uh, they're connected directly with TikTok now. So when you put your music up there, it automatically becomes available on TikTok. And then you have royal.io. That's the site where you can create your NFTs to sell to your fan base. And if you think about it as independent artists, it's almost like penny stocks. Think of it this way. If we had bought stock in Let It Be or, you know, I Want to Hold Your Hand when the Beatles came out. We wouldn't be talking right now. We'd be sitting down at the beach somewhere in, in Tahiti, you know, with my ties at this stage yeah, of the, the game. Yeah, the irony that's like the Apple stock. Right. Whether you bought the Beatles or bought the Apple early. Yeah, that's it. This is this is crazy. I mean, I've never heard of this, and you know, I'm <laughs> I'm going to be doing some deep dives after we get off the phone. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's you know, it it took me a while to really wrap my head around the whole NFT, the non-fungible token thing. Initially, when I started looking into it, you know, you look into it and they have these little 8-bit graphics that people are spending millions of dollars on. Made no goddamn sense to me. If I had a million dollars, I wouldn't be buying an 8-bit graphic. Um, There's an artist called Beeple that created this digital artwork that sold over $67 million through Christie's. And it was just an NFT. The ape one, the monkey one? No, it's, well, that's, those are the crypto punks. The, oh, okay. The, yeah, and crypto apes and uh, crypto kitties. Um, there was a whole slew of those that were the initial offerings through NFTs. But when you start looking at how can these technologies be applied to the music industry, when you start talking smart contracts, uh, digital applications embedded within the blockchain, uh, these NFTs that now can be connected to the smart contract. So look at it this way. If you start working through the streaming service that's on a blockchain and you sold NFTs that that said, okay, um, you own through this NFT an 0.015% of streaming royalties for this song. That now gets embedded into a smart contract. So every time you get paid, it automatically takes care of all of the um, the book work to pay all the people who own those NFTs automatically through the blockchain and through these smart contracts. So you don't even have to do the administration of it. It's done automatically through smart contracts. My head's going to explode here. (laughs) (laughs) As as I said, it's almost from the beginning. It's like coming into this, I felt like Rip Van Winkle, and you've just accelerated that by a thousand. Um, (laughs) I honestly, I'm going to... But I'm I'm very very curious person. It's like I will be online and probably looking at all this all night. Okay. Well, if you go to uh, makingascene.org, uh, the web magazine, mm-hmm. and just search for NFTs or uh, and search for Audius and uh, do a search for um, Royal.io. I have articles on all of that. Uh, I have a primer. Uh, an independent artist guide to NFTs to kind of give you um, an idea of what it's all about. What is it? What does it do? And how does it, you know, operate? And it's a a good base knowledge so you can then take that to the rest of your exploratory um, Googling, let's put it that way. Just it gives you that base knowledge to work off of. Because it took me a while. Well, I actually there. took courses to just to understand what the hell this thing was. You know? Right. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it right now. So. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's it's been a real pleasure, and uh, uh, I appreciate having me. And oh, I think you, you know, you never know. You might have just changed the course of my career. Well, you never know, and yeah. you know that's kind of what we do here. And uh, you know what? We're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. And uh, you know what? You guys out there, turn it up loud. But my whole world falls to pieces And I'm a lonely man And all the old scenes scroll through my head
suicide by alcohol Bad chip tape to a lick store wall A damaged soul to fog gone to sea Yeah, goodbye, oh, I hope Bill Yeah, goodbye, oh, I hope Bill Yeah, goodbye, oh, I hope Bill I can see your smile and hear you laughing still We're a ragtag band of outstate balls Drank too much and made a lot of noise Each and every one of us a mess And one day while Bill stumbled in No one remembers where I went He just blended in with our sis We drank a lot but Bill drank more We do three shots, he do four His brain went black before his mouth would quit We'd head to bed, he'd keep drinking further down He just kept sinking half the shit he'd say before again Yeah, goodbye, oh, I hope Bill Goodbye, oh, I hope Bill Goodbye, oh, I hope Bill I can see your smile and hear you laughing still artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you.
For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make. 